2: I think one of the most delightful aspects of This Might Get Uncomfortable is not only the incredible diversity of guests and their knowledge base, their background, their life experiences, and their stories. Beyond that, it's also getting a little bit of a glimpse into their daily lives. And our wonderful guest here today, Meredith Keith Church, as soon as she got on camera prior to recording, I immediately told her, I think that you, Meredith, have the most unique and interesting background of any guest we've yet had here on the podcast. And before I asked you, I was like, is that Pangea? Does she have, does she have, like, there's something really interesting going on behind you. And before we jump in and have you describe what it is, you told me one thing and you said the motivation for what that is, which you'll reveal in a second, was to think differently about things and look at things differently. And I feel like that's going to be a wonderful touchstone for this entire episode with you and the incredible healing work you do in the world, the art that you create. You are a woman of many talents and, you know, many different disciplines that we'll get into today. And for any of the listeners, if you want to see this incredible background, please go to our YouTube channel, which we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. So you can see Meredith and this incredible art piece that she has in her office. So Meredith, thank you so much for being here with us today. And Let's kick it off. What is this behind you, and why did you create this?
0: Yeah, so thank you. I'm excited to be here with you today. So behind me is the world, a map of the world, made out of wood that we actually pieced together, came in pieces, so that was a fun project to actually have to create it and to get it to this point. And the reason it's oriented this way is because we've had a lot of conversations in our family about the world, and how people perceive it to be. And in particular, how people often describe different places using different directions. And this is East and this is West. And we've had conversations around, well, that's interesting because it's round, right? So depending on where you are, that's a matter of perspective. And so when we put this together... We thought how could we make this sort of a way for people to think differently than what they're used to seeing when they see a map of the world, right? Because most of the time when we see it it's oriented in the same way with a certain focus in a certain direction and if the earth is spinning then, you know, maybe it's not always in the same place at the same time. So, that's the background to this. I love that because It reminds
1: me of lessons that I'm learning right now from a wonderful book called Think Again. I think the author is Adam Grant, and he has encouraged me through his writing to challenge my own worldview, perspectives, and knowledge, and not be afraid of being wrong because that fear of being wrong, that attachment to being right will often cause us to have blinders on and and retain our biases and not grow. And I think I grew up thinking that I had to get it right all the time. I was afraid to do anything unless I felt it was right. That includes speaking. And I found that by that fear, I I wasn't allowing myself to stumble through things, make mistakes and learn along the way. And that actually hindered my uh, ability to grow and over the past year recently, I started to allow myself to make mistakes more and be gentler with myself. And I love that you're using this visual as a reminder and as a teaching opportunity, because I think that's something more people could benefit from. And a lot of us tend to think we're open-minded, but actually in the book, it's pointed out that being open-minded might not really mean that you're open-minded, if that makes sense. I, I don't remember the exact way that he phrased it, but I just started to step back and examine myself and think, wow, there's probably so much. Actually, there's definitely so much I don't know. And I have to not only acknowledge that, but practice it and be okay with feeling embarrassed or making those mistakes. And our a lot of people in our audience have expressed to us that they struggle with people-pleasing and perfectionism. And I'm curious, how did you get to this point where you became so passionate about worldviews, Meredith?
0: That's a great question. I remember being in a place of not being comfortable with making mistakes and being really tied to that perfectionism so I can really relate to that idea And definitely was a people pleaser early on in life. I feel like our culture just unfortunately reinforces that with the whole rewards, punishments set up from everything we do, from the conventional school system to, you know, work environments and relationships, right? That's sort of the expectation that we get told a lot. So I remember questioning, you know, why I was doing some of these things and it was through that realization that I didn't really know that I was making some choices in life just because and not really from a place of because I really wanted to do this thing or I was really interested in spending my time with this person or with this activity, right? And so, it was through that questioning of do I have a real reason for this and if not, then do I maybe want to make a different choice, that I got a little more brave and then started to you know, do what you're talking about, which is just to try things and to be okay with not knowing how it was going to happen or you know, how it was going to work out, not knowing how people would react, what people would think, was I going to offend someone, all of that kind of stuff. So I feel like it was through small decisions that I thought maybe, well, what's the worst that could happen here if I try this new and different thing, right? Maybe just I'll notice so then I could kind of dip my toe into the water of releasing that perfection. If I didn't feel like maybe people were watching as much, right? I didn't feel like it was as much in the limelight. Maybe it was just a personal choice. And so with each progressive thing that I did and I didn't fall through a hole in the ground and you know the world didn't come to an end, I realized, oh, <laughs> hey, you know, this could be okay, right? And even if it turned out that I had done something that I felt like maybe I didn't want to stick with, a lifestyle change or something like this, then I just made a different choice. So it was through that practice of doing that that it just felt easier and easier. And then in having conversations with people when I'd been afraid of ruffling feathers, it's interesting because I really love the name of your show because over the years I've often been told that maybe one of my special gifts is making people uncomfortable (laughs) <laughs> With the hope of, you know, opening eyes or having people look at something differently, right? Not out of the sense of just doing it to do it, right? But that there might be a reason and that that might be helpful. And so once I started to look at it from that standpoint, I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe if I speak my mind and make these different choices, maybe it could help someone through making them uncomfortable, right? So pushing them out of that comfort zone. So over the years, it's just gotten easier and easier. And it's not always fun and exciting. You know, sometimes it's a challenge, right? And I feel like I've gotten enough out of just realizing that it's worth it all the time, regardless of what happens, because I'm going to learn something and someone else might be helped, then it's worth it to just make those different choices, make the mistakes, not be afraid. And so it's gotten easier and easier.
2: Let's talk about different choices. And since, since you have championed discomfort or being uncomfortable as we do, Meredith, you in your introduction to us and sharing a lot about your life, you've made some really interesting choices in terms of how you and your family are choosing to live your lives that are, I will use the word unconventional in the sense that I think American society, Western culture in general sort of has this tyranny of the majority approach that you must acquiesce to sameness because that's how you'll fit in. That's how you'll be accepted. That's how you'll get all of the benefits of this capitalist culture. If you're just like all of us, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. I'll say oppression and i'll even use the word tyranny in many cases of wanting people to be exactly the same whether that is the spectre of whiteness whether that's classism ageism whitney and i have really unpacked a lot of these over the course of our episodes and with you meredith you know you've chosen to make some lifestyle choices you and your family things like not having a car homeschooling your children and not having them be in the mainstream education system i'd love you to go deeper into your, not just your thought process, but the journey inside of you in discovering that you wanted to make these choices, regardless of people judging you or how unconventional they they might seem. I want you to speak to, I guess, your internal process, your, your level of introspection and courage in living life this way and what that experience has been like for you and your family.
0: Sure. So I would say starting out that when I was younger, I tried the way that we're sold is supposed to work and was completely miserable. So I think that was a factor, right? I tried to fit in. I tried to assimilate. I grew up primarily in the Midwest throughout different areas of the United States, Midwest, a few different states. And I was pretty much the only brown person I knew. And no matter how hard I tried to fit in, I didn't. It just was right there for everyone to see, right? So in addition, I feel like I, I wasn't comfortable trying to go along with the crowd, you know, no matter what they were doing. And every time I tried to assert a different idea, again, it was a big roadblock to, you know, finding community or fitting in. So so I tried that for years. I, you know, went through the conventional school system, Survived it. I went into what I was told we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to go through school and then we're supposed to go to college. And then we're, you know, supposed to get the job. And I worked in corporate United States offices for 10 years. So I tried all that, right? We had a big house when we got married. We had the cars. So, you know, at some point I was looking at things from the perspective of, okay, I've I've checked all the boxes, right? I've done all the things that everybody says we're supposed to do. And it feels wrong. It feels horrible. So, what am I doing wrong? And at the time, I remember being introduced to a course called Voluntary Simplicity, and it was through an Earth Institute of the state where we lived at the time. It was just something that my husband and I found and thought, oh, six week course, get a workbook. This sounds interesting. <laughs> you know, we'll try it. And I would say that that was a pivotal point. You know, the, the stories that we learned through that class were a lot of personal stories from other people who had stepped out of this societal list of expectations and did these really different things. And so it was through seeing, oh, well, here are a bunch of people who haven't done that. So that means that I wouldn't have to do that. We as a family wouldn't have to do that. So it was through the unveiling really of other people's stories that I realized, wait. It's not true. These are all just stories we've been told, right? We don't have to do this. So realizing that was huge. And then taking sort of one step at a time, I would say probably after that class, of, we had to focus on that minimization of stuff, of activities, of you know overwhelm, and started to ask those questions about what is making us happy and what isn't? And what if life were actually just about following our joy? Whoa. Well, and we would say things like that to people and people would just get really big eyes and oh oh that's interesting you know so got some really interesting feedback from that and we just we tried one thing at a time we reduced a lot of what we owned for example we started to follow a lot of the minimalist bloggers and uh, read a lot of those books that kind of thing and and it became so freeing it didn't feel like we were missing out or we were losing things it felt like we were gaining something and i remember the moment at which i was just ready to do it it was one of those things where i think i was looking for my library card and i couldn't find it you know and it was like opening the drawers and the cabinets and and i just looked around and said what is all this crap why do we have it right and why should it take me this long to find my freaking library card so i remember that kind of being a switch and we started Donating so many things because we had plenty of usable things. It's just that we didn't need to use them. And I remember that I'd accepted a bunch of furniture from when my grandmother had died. And my parents said, Don't you want all this stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You need all this stuff, you know? And so I had this whole extra room of furniture that, like, wasn't my style. I wasn't interested in. And it just felt like an obligation like, oh, well, this is what everybody said I need to do because, you know, Passed down through the family. And so we started getting rid of things. And I remember it took months. We were getting those bags to the house that said, fill this bag and put it on your porch and call us and we'll come pick it up for this organization. Well, we participated in that, I think, every other month. And it said, if you have additional things beyond this bag, just go ahead and put them out. We filled our stoop, the sidewalk that went down our stoop, and half of our driveway for maybe three months of every other week pickups. I'm not kidding. I remember thinking the neighbors must wonder what is going on here. So, it just felt so good. It was like once we got started, I was like, "Oh, and there's this thing that I hate. And what is this even? And we have five of these." So, I feel like that that was really the starting point for us. And then it was what's next, you know? And when we went car-free, that took a while. Each step, you know, was progressively a little bit more, a little bit more out of our comfort zone, you know, with all these arguments from society, but, oh, you can't do that. Someone actually said to us, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, we can actually <laughs> just sell the car. And, and I remember that this one person said, oh, well, maybe we should ask around and get you some help. How are you going to get groceries? Maybe we should start a phone tree and we can help figure out how to get you groceries. And I'm, I'm like, we're good we we figured it out we have these bikes and it was just so out of people's awareness and they just couldn't comprehend how we could actually make some of these choices because it was so different so that was car free and then we minimized we ended up moving into a like a 900 square foot loft apartment in a, a downtown urban area and we'd had a big suburb house so that was a huge change we quit our jobs (laughs) working for other people. Our kiddo has never been in the school system. I have older stepkids who went through and one who left when they were a teenager after realizing, you know, oh, I don't have to do this. There's another way. So it was just one thing after another. I don't have a phone. I have been without a phone for five years now, I think. So that was amazing. And I just, yeah, each thing I thought, well, What's the worst that can happen? We hate this thing. Guess what? There are going to be more big houses, more cars, more schools, more phones. They're not going away anytime soon. So, if we absolutely hate this, we can do something else. More corporate jobs. Pretty sure those aren't going away anytime soon. So, you know, it felt like we had this over here to the side. Well, we've got this safety net. If we want to go back to that, we can go back to that. And it just turned out that every choice made us happier and happier. We were able to travel internationally and work remotely and just do all kinds of things. And then it really did become about following our path, following our soul's purpose, following our joy. Because without all that noise and extra obligation stuff, relationships, activities, we could actually hear that voice of intuition. It wasn't buried anymore. It was out there. For us to actually access and be who we were and not who everyone else wanted us to be.
2: Wow. First of all, I'm incredibly inspired by all of these choices you've made. And it brings something up, Meredith, which I think is is one of the, at least in terms of the media and corporations, unspoken drivers of the system of capitalism we're in right now, which is... The things you have, the money you acquire, as you said, the cars, houses, technology stuff is a reflection of your virtuousness as a person, as in he or she who ascends the mountain of capitalism and acquires the fanciest, newest, shiniest stuff has won in terms of society's measurements of the quality of your life as a human being. And you so reflected that when someone replied to you, you can't do that. You can't get rid of your car. It's like, but that comments like that shows you how embedded it is into the framework of our consciousness that if you as a human being choose not to have a car, choose not to have closets full of clothes, tons of trinkets, the latest, greatest, most expensive technology, tens of thousands of dollars of outlay in bills and expenses each month, well, then you must be a loser and you're not really playing life right. And so the the comments you received are so fascinating, but it really shows you how deep this programming goes into us as human beings. You know, in terms of your emotional relationship to letting go of stuff, did you have a point you know, with either the cars or the phone or anything where, I don't know, you you had a challenging emotional response or were you to all of it like, yeah, good riddance, bye. Did it bring up anything traumatic or challenging in you in, in that shedding process?
0: It definitely varied depending on which thing we were talking about, right? Because there were some things I was more attached to or more used to than others. So, For example, I remember when we talked about moving into the smaller place in an urban area, in a downtown neighborhood, I definitely had all of these stories that were coming out that later I identified weren't mine, that they were from external sources, right? I was parroting those things I'd heard, like, we can't do that. Families have to live a place where you can have a backyard, You know, and I remember my husband, thankfully, was able to, you know, lovingly have this conversation with me and present some other ideas such as, well, you know, this downtown neighborhood has three or four parks. You know, one's on the river. There's plenty of outside space, right? And so I went, oh, well, I guess you're right. And, you know, there were all of these these different things that came up. Similar with the car, and the thing is i didn 't even like driving i don 't like driving because we still drive if we want to rent a car or you know do something like that we can 't and i didn 't like driving. it was very stressful. you know I was not a relaxed driver i 'm you know paying attention to all these things and stressed out about don 't talk to me i 'm looking for the exit all that, so it was interesting because i wasn 't some some people love to drive that was not me, so i wasn 't really attached to the driving. And I still found myself thinking, well, we got rid of one car first. And that's all I was willing to do at first. I said, Let, let's just go down to one and see how that works. And we parked it in a downtown parking lot and paid monthly. And it just sat there because we were using the bus and we were using our new bikes and we were walking, you know, we were learning how to do all these things. And somehow I still needed that for a while, right? I wasn't ready to just jump from two to zero. So, It was the car share company that actually came to our town at the time that finally gave me that last push. And so the car share was a company where you could pay an annual fee and it was really inexpensive. And then you can rent by the hour. So it moved into our town and it was, there were several you know pods of cars and one of them was a couple blocks away. So at the time I still had, I was carrying a car seat. So I said, okay, I can put my arms through the car seat. We can walk two blocks. I can install the car seat. I can do this. We can get rid right of the car now. <laughs> so, but it was just that, right? That feeling, of, okay, all right. Well, if we need one, We've got a car here that's super easily accessible and affordable, and that sort of thing to use. They covered the insurance, so there were definitely things that you know at first I was not just open to doing, and that these these other messages that were coming in were so powerful, like you say, that it was hard to push through those. And so I did need a little time. Need a little time. I needed to. Just sit with the different options. Again, that, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, because I've heard one argument of, well, you don't have a car. Well, what do you do in an emergency? Well, in an actual emergency, you're probably calling an emergency vehicle. So, you know, it's that, that, that whole thing, that whole idea. So, talking myself through all of those things that were really just messages from other people that I needed to be able to cut through and figure out what was really. The fear. Was there really something scary there? Was it just a story I was told? So yeah, I mean, it, it depends for sure. Everybody has different attachments to different things, right? And similarly with getting rid of all that stuff, there were definitely things that were harder than others. I remember pulling a pair of like tiny little ballet shoes out and they were our kiddos, like ballet shoes from the first class they took when they were two or three or something. And I said to my husband, do you think we should keep the shoes? They, you know, she, they used it when they were little. And he said, maybe we should just keep the kid because that's the important thing, right? Like we got memories right there. And I said, okay, fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, things like that come up for sure. I love this
1: because this process of letting go and minimizing and, and getting down to the basics is a desire I see within myself and a, a lot of other people. And I Oftentimes I notice within myself and others that it's it's so tied into our emotions and all those fears. And what comes up for me sometimes is like, well, what if I need it later? That's one of my big struggles. I really struggle with getting rid of something that I'm not regularly using because in my head it's like that fear of, oh, having to go buy it again, you know? And that scarcity mentality that usually isn't based in experience or reality. It's all those what if scenarios that keep us feeling very safe. I also noticed that I tend to get overwhelmed easily. And when you were describing this, I was thinking about how long it took for me to finally close down, empty out and close down my storage unit that I had for a long time. And it was just easy to have my things in there. But I wasn't Using them. It was actually in a completely different town. After I'd moved, I put things in the storage unit and just kept paying for it every month. And it wasn't like an extreme amount of money. So I didn't feel the urgency. But then when I looked back over how much I spent on it before I finally sat down, found the courage and the motivation, I thought, wow, like imagine if I had done this earlier. But sometimes that process of that hindsight 2020 experience that we have, I I also had to let go of that and recognize, you know what? It wasn't a priority and I didn't feel ready. And so there's this kind of um, interesting balance between when we fully feel ready to do something. And this is something I have an interesting relationship with because usually within other people, I can ask that question like, well, why don't you just do it? you know, like what's stopping you? It feels really easy. But for me, there's a lot of things that seem easy to others that I haven't done yet. And that's been a very humbling thing to acknowledge of of the thing, noticing what I hold on to because they overwhelm me to just make that process of starting that transition of letting go or completing something. And I'm curious if if you've done that yourself. I know Jason has because he's thought about selling his car. And I remember I've thought, well, what would he do? You know, I I felt concerned as his friend of like, well, what do you mean? Like, how are you gonna get places? Like where you know where you live, there's not great public transportation yet, at least in the terms in which I think about it. But the truth is he would figure it out. I've done it myself. I've been car-free for a few blocks of time in, in Los Angeles, which is a city where people think like you have to have a car. But through my short experiences of not having a car, I recognize, oh, I figured it out, just like you're describing. But, you know, Jason, you've clearly continued to keep the car. Jason, you've also thought about Getting a simpler phone and going entirely off social media, that's been a process. So this question is really for both of you of the two-parter is, you know, what stops you from making a shift? Why does it take a while for you to make that decision, that leap? And then what's it like on the other side after you do make that and you observe your former self that struggled so much to make that change? Jason, do you have any immediate thoughts that come up?
2: I mean, I resist doing it because I have projections of fear that may or may not be real, that may or may not come to fruition of where I live in Los Angeles. Could I lift? Could I rent? Could I ask friends for rides? Could I take the bus? Yes, I could do all those things. Perhaps it's the fear of, A, even though I would save money and simplify my life, the fear that I would maybe make my life more difficult. As a result, like, yeah, I'm saving all this money. I pocketed all this money by selling my car. There's no gas. There's no insurance. All of that sounds wonderful. I mean, it really does not having those payments each month, but I worry, and it's a projection of fear into the future of, yeah, but you might make things harder for you. Like that's my internal dialogue. And the second thing is, you know, I'm still unraveling the conditioning from my upbringing. I'm also a Midwesterner, by the way, Meredith, I I grew up in Detroit and in Detroit, it's very much like what you drive is a reflection of you. Like you're same with LA, but in particular Detroit, like your car is a very important thing. Like what you drive is like, oh, you know, I remember when my grandparents or my uncles or people in my family would, you know, would get a new car and they'd bring it home. And it was, it was a thing. It was a celebration. Like, whoa, uncle Bob just got a new Cadillac. He got a Cadillac. Oh my God. So we go back to like this idea of capitalism and virtuousness. I'm still untethering myself from my upbringing, which is your value as a person is tied to the car you drive. And I know it's bullshit. I know it's not real. And yet I'm still, it's deep in there. So that's my reasoning is there's a, my soul wants a simpler life. My soul wants nature. My soul wants simplicity. My soul wants less bills. My soul wants less stuff but it struggles with ego and my sense of identity as a human being, thinking that these things actually matter and reflect who I am and my value. Again, knowing that's not real. I know it's BS, but it's taken me a long time to unravel that part. It really is.
0: Yeah. So there are a couple of things that come up for me from that. So one thing that I want to say is I remember the motivation being somewhat helpful with making the decision and then finding out there was even more to it that was even better. So something that Jason said made me think of this. Specifically, we started out with the car-free idea pretty much purely out of financial interest. So we were at the time starting to look at reducing our expenses so that maybe we could work fewer hours because we were still a bit entrenched into that hole piece of society. And so we thought, well, here's simply a way we can just really cut our bills, you know, with the things that you mentioned with the insurance and the gas and all that. What it turned out was that it actually simplified our lives in other ways that I never would have guessed. And so, for example, when people do talk about what you just mentioned, Jason, about would it complicate things? What about activities? What about meetings? Things like that. What it did that I had never anticipated was it actually made us question all the things that we were doing and whether or not they were really worth it. Because without the car in the driveway to just jump into, we needed to pause and think, is this worth getting a taxi or car share or what have you? Is this worth the two-hour bus ride or the five-mile bike ride or that kind of thing? And what happened was we discovered we were doing a bunch of crap we didn't want to do and that it was just a default setting, right? Because we could, well, technically we could just get in the car and go to that event, that meeting, that whatever it is. Right. And so we realized that if something was important, we could figure out a way to do it. And if it wasn't, it was a great opportunity for us to realize, Oh, I don't want to do that anyway. You know? And so It ended up really simplifying things because it made us look at how we were spending our time, who we were spending our time with, and what we really actually wanted to do versus just saying yes, because we could, we were available that day, we had the ability to get there. And the other thing that was interesting is that it helped us tie in with our community and support more. I feel like we're so isolated. And then when people came forward and said, oh, well, I'd love for you to do this thing. We can pick you up. Or why don't we have this meeting? Oh, well, Meredith, we want Meredith to go. So let's have it at a central location. So it was interesting because it it actually bolstered relationships that we hadn't even thought about having an impact on because other people were thinking about everybody in the group. And is there some way to offer assistance or things like that? So that was an interesting, I guess, just result that we hadn't really anticipated. So it really ended up making things easier, it turned out, than more difficult. And it is, it's a lifestyle and it's a choice. So of course, there are going to be things that maybe sound cool that we want to do that seem like too much, right? After a while, I thought, well, that's actually helpful because that helps me, that helps me pick there are so many cool things to do like people we all have a lot of interests right and you know in any given day there might be this festival and that meeting and the, you know these events and we want to do everything and we just can't so this was almost like a help <laughs> an external source of help it was like oh well i couldn't decide between these three things and this one is the easiest to get to so great i'm going to do that thanks universe so just something that came up for me as a part of that whole process of working through all that is that so I think it's surprising. People think it's going to, it it might make things harder. And it, depending on how you look at it, right? I just, I got this whole new, new vision of like, oh, actually this could help me like say no to some things. And it could help me focus on what I actually really have time and energy to do rather than trying to pack it all in. And the other thing I want to say related to what Jason was talking about was the the culture and maybe the people around you and the family. Because I remember that when we did go car-free, it was maybe the first time I was ever afraid to tell my dad something. My dad's always been super open and, and caring and accepting. And he worked in the automobile industry for decades, loves cars, has a classic car, shows it every weekend, has trophies. It's cars are a big deal. He loves cars. And I thought, oh, this may be the only decision I've ever made that I'm a little nervous about, you know, talking about. So, so yeah, I mean there are pieces of of these things in our lives that they connect us to other people and we think, oh, well, if we don't have that in common, how's that going to work? And we may need to look at what else is our relationship about, right? And so that's a whole other interesting thing to consider.
2: It's so interesting, Meredith, because when we're talking about, you know, the fears I brought up, but the generalized fears, you talk about relating to people and how the choices we make in our life either help us relate or perhaps are polarizing, right? And so not having a car, being a minimalist, not having your child in the mainstream education system, you know, we talk about for lack of a better word, alternative styles of eating. You know, if you're vegan like Whitney and I are, or, or paleo or 80 10, 10, or keto, or fruitarian, it's like all these conversations over the years kind of flashed in my mind of having conversations around lifestyle and ethical choices. And some people being like, that's really, really cool. Tell me more. And other people being like, did you join a cult? What is this? I don't understand. And perhaps that is one of the deeper subconscious fears of perhaps why people don't make certain choices, even if something in their soul is moving them toward making a new choice, is the fear of maybe you know a deeply embedded one from thousands of years ago that if we did something against the tribe or we did something to get ourselves ostracized, then we would literally be out in the forest or the rainforest fending for ourselves. And if we don't fend well on our own, we're going to die or get eaten. And I think that's probably stored in us deep down where if I make these choices and they're against the grain too much, what if I get disowned? What if my friends don't want to hang out with me anymore? What what if my father disowns me because I got rid of my car? That being said, I'm curious, what did your dad say and how did he react when you told him?
0: So... He wasn't really sure what to think, so we didn't have a super strong reaction. I think it didn't even really compute at first. He needed some time to really process that because, like so many other people, it just didn't even occur to him that that was a thing that somebody would do. So, thankfully, he's a person who doesn't have strong reactions, so he it was quiet, which is a strong reaction for him because he likes to talk, so... <laughs> I knew that that was a reaction in and of itself. And it it just took a lot of time to accept. So I think he thought it was just an idea we maybe had. And then when we did it, it was another level of, oh, you actually did that. So you really don't have a car. Okay. And he still has a hard time with things like offering us rides to somewhere, he actually just recently moved close to us. He hadn't been close to us for years. He lived on the other side of the U.S. And so last year he moved here and said, oh, you can use my car anytime. And we went, okay, thanks. We don't want to use your car. <laughs> so he still has a hard time understanding fully that this is a lifestyle choice, that it's not that, oops, we lost our car and you know we need a replacement. This is the way we want to live. And now because it's grown into something that we feel is so beneficial in so many ways. So in the ways I mentioned, for example, and we're in such great shape because if I'm running late, it's great for me as opposed to in a car because I'm either running instead of walking or I'm riding my bike really fast as opposed to when I was running late in the car, which is dangerous. So there's that. There's the continued connections that we actually have with family and friends if we're going somewhere with them, because I can actually have a conversation with the person that I'm walking or riding with, whereas in a car, I couldn't. Or if we take the bus somewhere, we're actually getting to connect more. So... He still doesn't really get that because for him, cars mean something else. They're joyous. He loves to just drive. And it's interesting because now I don't even really love to ride in cars because it doesn't feel good. It it really doesn't feel good in my body. And I've read a little bit of science about this related to our inner ear and how our body expects us to only be moving if we're actually moving ourselves. But if we're standing still or sitting still, And our brain realizes we're moving. It's a little like, wait, this isn't natural. I'm supposed to be, if I'm moving, I'm supposed to be the one moving, right? So I've read about that in context of motion sickness and things of that nature. So the longer I've gone, not being in a car, the less natural it feels. I need the outside air. I need to feel the ground. I need to smell the smells. I need to see things. And when I'm in a vehicle, it just doesn't feel great. So there are times when we'll meet him somewhere, right? And he doesn't understand that because he thinks we should just pick us up. Nope. We'll see you there. We'll just meet you there. Why would you want to do that? I got this great car. So, and then there's the environmental aspects, which have been, right? There's just so much that came out of what we thought was a financial decision, And now I think about, well, you know, I'm riding my bike. For example, I'm in a theater, a musical theater show right now. And so I'm riding my bike to rehearsals and or using the bus, depending on the temperature, because as you may know, where I am right now is really hot this time of year. So he said, oh, I'll just take you. And I said, no, I'm good because this bus, it's already going there. (laughs) It's already going there, full of people or not full of people, And for you to make an extra trip to get in the car just to take me there doesn't make any sense to me anymore because I'm just going to ride this bus. It's already passing the building. So it's just interesting. He is still getting used to it and he has accepted it and, and still loves us and hasn't disowned us, which is great. And I still have to have some of the same conversations that I've had multiple times before. And we've now been car free for eight years.
2: Oh, my God. Eight years, forgive me while I collect my brain from the walls. I feel like your dad and I would get along because we'd be like, why? But as you break it down, though, Meredith, it makes so much sense for so many reasons. As an aside, before we get into some other deep topics, what musical theater show are you doing?
0: I am in a chorus line.
2: You're singing, dancing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's so exciting! That's wow as a former theater geek props, that's I, and you're in what city? Tucson,
0: Arizona in Tucson. The US.
2: Okay. I was going to be like, man, I, we'd love to come see you. That's, I don't know. That it's, just, I, it,
0: it's not that far. <laughs>
2: it's been so long since we've seen like any live music or any live performance. So a, it's like your incredible personality and in watching you perform, but b, like, Oh my God, a live performance. That sounds like the greatest thing in the world right now.
1: You know, Jason, I had this moment as you were talking where I thought it kind of feels like you're... I'm picking up that you might be feeling like, wow, I wish I could almost jump right into Meredith's life where she is right now. Because I see Jason light up and he's thought about moving from LA. He's thought about getting rid of his car. He wants to do more performance. And it's, it's really amazing. And you have this ability at least that I'm experiencing Meredith to inspire and and get the wheels turning and and see the promise and see what it's like on the other side. And even you bringing up the motion sickness, that helped me realize and remember how much I've struggled with that, but kind of like coped with it so much. But when I was a little girl, I had really bad motion sickness. And up until listening to you today, I completely forgot about going to the doctor multiple times and trying to understand my motion sickness. And they would give me tools for it. I think it was because my parents did a lot of driving. We did a lot of road trips and I would feel sick in the car. And to this day, I still do. And I have this aha moment. It helped me better understand why I really don't like taking Uber and Lyfts and even carpooling with other people. I think I'm always motion sick unless I'm actually driving, but I learned how to cope with it and to function so much that I almost forgot it was there entirely. And that's an important element of this, too, is part of what you're describing is the process of going back to your core and bringing up elements of yourself that maybe you learned to cope with, but like you're really not okay. And for those of us who are really good at high functioning, like myself, I have almost this amnesia. And it isn't until somebody says, hey, what about this, that I'll step back and go, oh, wow, I have buried that so far down. And I think that's an important element of this and also ties into some of the things that Jason was saying. I think a lot of us put what we really want and who we are aside in order to make it through, or to fit in, as you've said, at, to meet the norms, to please our parents, and I know parenting is a passion for you. So there's two sides, Meredith. I believe that you told us, and correct me if I'm wrong. Are your your parents are white? You said you were raised by this. So when you refer to your dad, is it your biological father, or what is uh, his place in your life?
0: Yeah, so you are correct. My parents are white. I was adopted, and I have only really ever referred to my parents as my parents, the only parents that I've known, right? So I don't have a lot of information about folks who would be related to me biologically. And I was also born in another country. I was born in what's now called Guatemala. So I'm of Mayan indigenous ancestry with of course some Iberian peninsula thrown in because colonialism and so I know that much and that's about all I know in terms of biological relatives so I've been in the US since I was an infant and I have been with my had been with my parents from that time on so good question and that's that's the relationship that I have with them
1: i imagine on some level that Well, that adds another layer to your relationship with your parents, right? And and you mentioned identifying with some of the people-pleasing behavior, at least in the past. I don't know if you currently do. And did you feel like, and do you currently on any level feel the desire to please your father? And as you're describing some of these things, does that get triggered sometimes in these moments of him not approving of you for not having a car or not understanding. I mean, that was part of what you're describing as well. I I get this sense that you have a good relationship with your father. There's a lot of love there that I'm picking up on, but there's still, even when you have great relationships, you can still feel a draw to please them and, and a struggle to help them understand you. So I'm curious about that relationship and also how that's impacted you as a mother.
0: Yes. So there's a lot there. I will say that my lifestyle choices were definitely something that caused challenging relationships with my parents, particularly my mom, I will say. My dad and I have actually just sort of gotten to know each other all over again because he moved here last year due to my mother passing away in 2019. And he decided he wanted a relationship. And he had worked a lot when I was growing up. So he was not really around very much. And then we ended up living on opposite sides of the country. And so we really didn't have much of a relationship. And so that's been very interesting. However, when I was younger, he was, I would say, the parent who was most laid back, low key, accepting things didn't really cause a strong response in him, like I mentioned. My mom, however, had a really hard time with a lot of the choices that I was making. And so I would say that the people pleasing side of me really had that moment of having to decide what was more important and having to decide, was I important enough? to put myself first and to do the things that I really felt were right for me. And you're mentioning that sort of getting used to things or just not realizing maybe that something was bothering you. That happens a lot. I, fear, I hear that from a lot of the people I work with. I've experienced it so much because, again, as part of that fitting in, we don't even realize who are we, right? What? How do we really feel? what is ours and what is other people's. So I think that growing up with that style of parenting that is so common, which is sort of the power dynamic of the adults know everything, the kids know nothing, you follow authority blindly because that's how you go through the school system generally. You do what the adults say for you to do. Then you transition into the corporate world and you do what everybody says you should do. The older, more experienced people and all of that. So it was like I was surrounded with it uh, by the family, by you know the work environment that I was in at the time. And so at some point when I decided to make these different choices, my family definitely had some strong reactions. And interestingly, I think... Parenting brings up a lot of stuff for people in those relationships, the kids and the parents. So I think what was happening, because now I've seen this with other people, is that my mom was questioning her choices. And my choices were causing some, oh, maybe I'm not really comfortable in what I'm doing with her. And I have seen that sense with other people that I'm not related to or that you know hear about our lifestyle. A lot of times when we get some negative comments, some pushback, some arguing. It's really that those people are looking in a mirror, right? And realizing, oh, and our choices are sort of bringing up some threatening feelings, right? About how well their values are really being expressed in what they're doing. So I had that experience with my family for sure, because I think people who aren't secure in the choices that they're making or suddenly realize maybe they've been hiding some things or, or not even realizing that feelings were there, those can come up when they hear about other people doing other things. And at some point, towards the end of her life, my mom did say, you know, I really admire that you don't care what other people think. You know, I really appreciate that you can do that. And I wish I could do that more. I wish I could have done that more. And that was nice. I appreciated you know, her being able to do that because I knew it was hard. She'd been through many years of saying, why are you eating that way? Because we eat differently. What do you mean that's not real food? (laughs) You know, just everything questioning along the way, you know? And so, so that felt good. It felt like, oh, okay. You know, it's even though I felt like I was raised in a way that, you know, elders are this certain way and you've got to... Treat them this way, and you have less authority than someone who's been in the world longer than you, and all that kind of stuff. You know, at the end of the day, she said, I think that's great. I'm really glad. Right. So that has definitely informed my parenting style. And we've parented so differently than we were parented because we began to think, what if our kids didn't have to grow up that way? What if we didn't just repeat those patterns? And what if we use the things that we finally learn now as adults to support a relationship with younger people that isn't about power and that isn't about conditional love? Because that's the big thing about approval, right? We fear losing that, that love, that caring, and, you know, Jason mentioned earlier, even from other people outside of our community, what if we're ostracized? What if we're not accepted, right? Because all of us as humans need to be accepted. We need to belong somewhere, right? To some group. And so I think that's, that's huge. And I really wanted to make sure that I was never making someone feel like my love was conditional, that... I needed to do whatever work I needed to do to realize when I was uncomfortable with someone else's choice, right? Because that's me. That's not them. Because people are free to make whatever choices that they see fit for themselves. So it has really informed my parenting style to have gone through life in this way. Because I would say to myself, I don't ever want my kids to feel this way that I'm feeling, right? I want them to be able to make those choices from the beginning. And that's another reason that we practice the self-directed education model, because what if they didn't have to wait until they were adults to figure out who they were, to unbury their actual intuition, to follow their soul's purpose? What if they could follow it from the beginning of their lives? So.
2: It's really interesting when you talked about, you know, our choices being a mirror for others, which I think goes into so many aspects of life. With, with the wonderful health coaching that you do, Meredith, I'm curious with your work with your clients, what kind of psychological things come up? Because obviously choosing what to eat, having the individual experience of finding out what is appropriate for our bodies and our being is a very specific thing to each person. And with your health coaching business, I'm a little bit curious with all of this soul work you're talking about and and questioning everything and and this, this framework you have for living your life. How does that leverage in your health coaching business? How do you take that framework of questioning everything? Because it seems to me that especially on social media, there's so much combativeness around people wanting to say this one way of living, eating, breathing, behaving is the right way. You know, vegans, the right way. Vegetarians, the right way. paleo's is the right way. 80, 10, 10, We mentioned it like this is the way and everything else is is bull crap, which we've seen Whitney and I over the years cause a lot of damaged relationships, a lot of fractured friendships, a lot of people being very violent and aggressive toward one another because they have the truth with a capital T that's a long way of framing. How do you handle your health coaching and what kind of things do you encounter with your clients, not just in terms of their physical health, but the mental spiritual side of finding out what works for them?
0: That's such a big part of really being able to tap into intuition. So I find that that is the best place to start with clients is to talk about how they really feel about things rather than, focusing on what they think they should do or how they should look or what other people have told them has worked for them. And of course, we're getting all of those messages and it's really hard to avoid that. However, I find that when we break things down into individual pieces with our daily life areas, right, and focus on what really feels good and what doesn't, and there are no wrong answers, that's the biggest thing. Because sometimes when I first meet someone or I'm talking to someone initially to work with them, they come in thinking, oh, I'm going to tell them to do this and this is bad. And oh, as someone told me once like, oh, you've probably never gone a day without eating a vegetable. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have. You know, it's that kind of thing that, oh, there's this this model of this is what health looks like. So clearing all that away from the very beginning and just helping people realize that there are no right answers. All of those truths, as you mentioned, that we've been sold are, I don't want to say they're lies. They're just, they're someone's truth, maybe. And we need to find out what your truth is, you know, when I'm working with individuals And we need to start with a clean slate. And so really tapping into what feels good for them right then, what is working, what isn't, that's, I feel like the most important thing when I'm working with someone, because sometimes when they realize, oh, okay, so I don't have to, we don't just have to talk about eating vegetables, or we don't just have to talk about going to the gym. You know, again, these, this checklist of things that people think is what health looks like. Nope. Let's clear all of that away you know and let's focus on the good stuff as well as as the things that people want to change i feel like people don't give themselves enough credit sometimes for what's working well right so when i work with somebody we don't need to just delve into problem this and solving that you know let's talk about what's good and a lot of times when they start talking about what is working they realize what that feeling is why is it working how do you feel when that's happening right like what's joyous about this what feels like it is natural and not forced? What feels like you want more of this? And then how do we apply that elsewhere? And it absolutely all has to do with mindset. It also has to do with support systems. So that's one thing I like to to try to talk about sooner rather than later with clients is, where can you get support for this? Because, you know, the second we stop talking and they go into their world, it can be really challenging to be surrounded with people who are telling them something else than what they're really trying to tap into for their intuition. So if I'm their only support person, that's okay. I can be that person for them. If there are others elsewhere that they can find or that they know, well, you know, I do have this one friend and I I think they also, for example, like they're they're plant-based, you know, eating and I might want to reach out to them and just kind of talk about what they're doing or maybe just set a time to go out to lunch so I can be around somebody that's not going to ask me why I'm ordering that or I'm not going to get into this big debate, you know, I feel like community is a huge piece of the work that I do with people. Because if you're feeling alone, It's just really difficult, even if you know what's going to make you feel good, to have to constantly feel like you're justifying that to everyone and explaining it to everyone. And it's exhausting. So I feel like that's a huge piece that has really helped people a lot is just if it's that one other person that can tell you you're doing just fine. Remember, it's about how you feel and not what this person is doing, or that you're offending this person. We talk a lot about boundaries, right? And being able to say, that's not going to work for me. I'm not participating in that or no, thank you. And it really does tap into the people pleasing that we just talked about as well. So finding those folks that are going to unconditionally support you on this journey, even if they're doing something different, that's okay. As long as they are supporting you and the idea that you really do know what you need, you just may need some of that pulling out, like Whitney just said, right? It may take our working together. Am I mentioning this? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, now that you mention it, there's this thing I can do, or I used to do this and it was great. Why did I stop doing that? Or I've always wanted to do this, but I wasn't sure that was okay. Yes, it is okay. Let's try it you know, that kind of thing. So so that's how I try to approach things, at least initially. And then of course, since everyone's different, we might go down a million different roads. But if I feel like if they have those things in place to start with, that can really tap into what feels right for them and knowing that they've got that unique path that nobody's going to have the answer to. They've got the answer. They just need some support pulling that out.
1: And it sounds a lot like you're giving them that unconditional love that you talked about earlier. And it feels warm and, like you said, supportive. And and it's amazing to me how many people feel misunderstood, which has come up in this conversation, feel like they don't fit in. They're trying to fit in, but they don't feel good when they fit in. The community element is interesting to me, too, because I've noticed over the years how many people yearn for community but struggle to find a community that feels good to them. And I've experimented a lot over time with with online groups or in-person events and all of these things. And I'm just fascinated by barriers that people have to even starting and joining and continuing to be part of things. And there's so many nuances in which people need to figure out what feels good to them. And I, I, I just believe there's a lot of fear. And certainly the experience that we've had globally with COVID has brought up fear of community in interesting ways, myself included. I noticed a huge pattern in the past year or so, not just during COVID, but it kind of revealed it more to me how I was having trouble trusting people. And that was a deeper thing within myself that didn't feel super conscious. My awareness was that I trust people, but when I would notice my behavior and my responses to people, I recognized how much I don't trust them. And so things like COVID, one thing that came up was like, I don't trust that other people are taking good care of themselves. And I still struggle with that. I mean, as of the time that we're recording this in summer 2021, we're seeing this potential return to quote, normalcy, whatever that means. And I've noticed within myself and others have expressed this too it's It's scary to go out and be around other people without masks again for some of us because it's that fear that what if the person that we're around or the people that are are around are not taking as good care of themselves as they pretend to you know, and I think that ties back into a lot of the health elements that you probably see, Meredith. It's like there's so many misconceptions around what health even means. And COVID has revealed that too. I remember at the beginning of COVID, a lot of health-minded people, vegans or anyone in eating a certain form of wellness diet, thought, oh, we're fine. You know, <laughs> We're eating really well, so we're good. Our immune systems are awesome. There was like an ego sense of like, we're invincible. You know, and... That wasn't necessarily true, and some people still believe it. You know there's a lot of different perspectives on covid but from what I was noticing, saw people of all different ages, all different lifestyles get being affected by this, and then that in itself brought up some trust issues of like, well, I found it more comfortable to kind of retreat and become more introverted and like a little bit more cautious. But part of me is afraid of that behavior because if we retreat too much from community, then we miss out on all these benefits that you're describing. So it's a challenging dance, to say the least. And I'm curious how you approach things like this, the, the mental and emotional sides of even entering into a community and then interacting in a way that supports you instead of bringing up more fear within you.
0: Yeah, community... Definitely can be challenging to figure out. So, one thing that comes up for me related to this is when you start from scratch. Let's say so many people move, right? We're transient society now. And so, sometimes if you haven't been somewhere for a while, you may be in an area where you don't know anyone. And depending on your personality, are you extroverted? Are you introverted? Are you shy? Because you could be either one of those, and and still be you know shy or maybe socially anxious. It can cause a lot of issues. Some people would rather just kind of stay on their own. But then, how long can that last without taking a toll? And frankly, taking a toll on your health, right? Because that's another piece of of things, health and wellness. Really, if you don't have that community at all, so. It takes a certain amount of bravery, for sure. And also, once again, listening to yourself and what's right for you. Because what one person might find energizing or really fun or interesting in terms of ways to meet people and ways to find community, another person might be completely overwhelmed. And then that's just causing stress, which isn't helping health and wellness, right? So I know a lot of people, especially like you mentioned over the past year, because of our not wanting to be in person with people, a lot of folks have talked about trying to find community online, and uh, you know, using video conferencing tools and that kind of thing. And you know, there are two pieces to that because some people have also felt really drained by that. So balancing you know what works because i've been sort of location independent and we've moved around a lot i was already using video conferencing tools and that sort of stuff for about 7 or 8 years now and so when everything started to move to let's do video conference meetings let's you know do video conference happy hours all that kind of stuff i definitely def- needed to make some choices about which ones felt good Which ones was I going to say no to again, once again? Because all of that coming in didn't feel really refreshing, replenishing, that kind of thing. So there were times where I would meet people or talk to people just on the phone, just so that I wasn't looking at the screen. Because if I'd already been looking at a screen for something else, that didn't work. I also have been writing letters for years, actually, many years. So, and I don't remember how or why I started that, but I thought, Let's start this up again. So, you know, that's something else that I continued. And I know I heard other people sort of starting that anew last year as another way to connect with people. So I think, once again, just listening to what feels good. Some people might want to go, if we're in a time where we're doing things in person, to, you know, a networking group. I saw those. uh, Meetup was big, right? So I have used that in years past when I'd moved to a new city. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's just overwhelming because I'm walking into this place. I'm going to try to meet new people. And it's a community group based around you know some sort of commonality. And it sounds like a good idea. And then I walk in and I don't know anyone. So I'm like, who do I go up to? Do I look for the sign? Do I have to wear a name tag? There's all of that. Some people are really happy with that and they love it. And that would be a great way for them to find community, right? And some people just kind of want to run screaming. So you know, thankfully, I feel like we do have a few different options. And it's again, just that trial and error, which I kind of find is true of anything related to health and wellness. Honestly, again, we we think this sounds like a good idea. It may take us trying it to realize "Mm, probably don't want to do that again. So let me find some other way, you know, if finding online communities works great. If it doesn't feel wonderful, maybe pick like one or two, you know, or pick one that you could meet people in that way. And then maybe they'd be willing to trade phone numbers and you just have a good old-fashioned phone conversation, right? So you're still having a voice-to-voice conversation. Maybe they're not in your area. You could still have a community with that person. You know, you can still have an accountability buddy or somebody to just bounce things off of or talk about, oh, I just had this really tough interaction with a family member and you know they're going to understand you. Or again, it's the letter writing. Sure, it takes a while. It's still it still counts. It's still community. It's still somebody you can talk to, somebody you can relate to. So I feel like it is that, again, that trial and error, knowing yourself, knowing what feels good and not just saying, well, everybody's signing up for this online community. So I guess I better sign up because that's what everybody's doing and, you know, feeling depleted because of it. So we all do that. (laughs) So just figuring out what works for you. And there is, there's a way out there, right? Like you will find your people. It may just take trying a few different types of things. Yeah. And a lot of what you're describing can be
1: very uncomfortable. I I was reflecting back on (laughs) when you brought up meetup.com and I used to, at the beginning stages when I was starting to get really into the vegan lifestyle, I didn't know that many vegans. And I've been a pretty introverted person most of my life. It's very uncomfortable for me to go to events on my own because i typically like to be quiet and observe and i and i don't like putting, being put on the spot to socialize that makes me radically uncomfortable and i remember i started going to meetups back in like 2008 or 9 and i'm getting flashbacks of like walking into the restaurants where we would meet up and just dreading it And say like, oh, why am I doing this? Almost like when I'd done online dating and walking into a first date, the same sort of feeling felt so uncomfortable. But a lot of times, the discomfort would end fairly quickly, and sometimes it would continue. And what I think I've worked on and would say to my younger self is, it's also like you've been saying so much today, Meredith, about tuning into your intuition and. Just because you try something doesn't mean that you have to stick with it. And there's that really fine line between sticking through to really determine if it feels right to you versus like knowing when it's not right. And the amount of times that I've continued to do something that I didn't really want to do because like I wanted to just like tough it out or I felt like I had to do that to please other people. And same thing goes with friendships, I've had a lot of anxiety over the years about maintaining friendships even when they weren't serving me or saying no to people. And re- recently, one of my friends was articulating her courage in just turning down invitations and saying, "Hey, no, I, you know, I don't want to do that." <laughs> and going back to what you're saying about not caring, it's sometimes you even have to push yourself to to care less about how people feel and understand that they play a role and have a responsibility and their reactions to you. And just everything that you're sharing today is is motivating and empowering me to to set my own boundaries and tune in more and find that courage to try something, but only to the point where it's making me feel good. And if it doesn't Truly make me feel good than finding the courage to say, No, thank you. This isn't for me. I don't want to do this anymore. And I think that's part of the community element that's tough. And maybe also a huge example of people pleasing. You know, like maybe people are afraid to create community because they're afraid to reject somebody. They're afraid to say no. They're afraid to set boundaries. They don't know how to set boundaries. So some people might not even start friendships or relationships of any kind simply because they're anticipating those tough moments, you know? And unfortunately, it this might get uncomfortable. That's the one of the reasons we named our show this. It's not necessarily about choosing to go outside your comfort zone, but understanding that sometimes it's going to feel uncomfortable. And, you, you know, that's just the way it is. You can't fully avoid those uncomfortable social moments. On that note, one thing that we're both really curious about, Meredith, is your relationship with the phone and social media, because both of those play a big role in community and socializing, obviously. I want to hear more about that. And first of all, where are you at exactly? Because I think you said that sometimes you'll do audio only. So does that mean that you use your computer? fully to have audio conversations? Do you have any sort of phone? Does anyone in your family have a phone? Do you have strict boundaries or is it just a choice and that's how it's turned out to be? And then I'd love to hear about social media after the phone element.
0: Yes. So in terms of what I have, essentially I have a laptop computer and we also have a landline in the home. So... Those are my options in terms of communicating in a way that I would a phone. The last phone I had was a flip phone. I actually never had a computery phone (laughs) ever because I just was like, why? I don't want a computer in my pocket. I have one. Like, why would I want a computer following me around in my purse or whatever? So, (laughs) so, and I was, I was very late to the texting party as well. Again, I was why i just want to be able to talk to someone anyway i did eventually start texting years after other people did so in terms of the length of time it's been it'll be 6 years this year that i haven't had a phone so one of the things that kind of threw me over on that choice was we had gone to southeast asia with one way tickets we weren't really sure how long we were going to be gone where all we were going to go what we were going to do but we canceled our cell phone plans because they weren't going to work There, And so I was using the voiceover internet protocol business for any calls that we wanted to make or FaceTime, Skype, that kind of thing. I think actually I was using Google Hangouts, which is Google Meets now. So we were using a few different tools to be able to communicate with folks here. And so I got used to using the computer. Just plug the headphones in, have a conversation. And it just was so great because when I was done, I just closed the computer and then no one could get a hold of me. And it was amazing. So when we came back to the US, at first I got another phone. Cause again, I was in that mode, like, okay, well, here's what we do. We get the phone and I got another flip phone. And so we I probably had it for less than a year. And at some point I just thought, what would happen if I just got rid of this? If I just didn't have the distraction when I left the house, and I just was present with whatever I was doing, whether I'm with my partner, whether I'm with my kids, I just wanted to see what happened. So again, it was kind of an experiment where I thought, well, I know I can get another $25 flip phone, you know, whatever, if I don't love this. So I got rid of it, and I loved it. And it was another thing where people went, you can't do that. You can't possibly have a phone. And I thought does anyone remember when we didn't have phones? Yes, it can be done. I know this can happen. So, and again, it was one of those things where, well, what if there's an emergency? Well, guess what? There are still landlines. There are a few payphones still, and there are people who have phones still, right? So I might actually have to speak to someone and say, hey, can I get some help? And again, people we become so compartmentalized and we don't even think about that like, oh, I I could just ask this person for help. So, that was sort of my my mindset and my entry point into that world and it works great. I occasionally mention to someone Hey, this number here is a landline, so don't send a text message. Every now and again, I'll talk to someone and they'll say, did you get my text message? And I'll say no. And they'll say, Oh, I sent it to the, Oh, I sent it to your landline. Sorry. But honestly, nothing major has happened. I use a Google voice number and so I can use that through my computer. You can also have it forwarded to any numbers. Super simple. So people can text. Message that they can leave a voicemail, or if I know someone's going to call, I can open my computer, plug in my headphones, and be ready for it. It's just so great to be able to just be present and have that not rule my life. And folks have said, Well, oh, what happens if you go somewhere and you meet somebody and they're not there? Well, what happened before we used cell phones? Like it's all going to be okay, you know. What happens if you're someone, you're bored? I just sit there and think some thoughts. (laughs) You know, it's like, I look around me. I just practice being, right? And so it's great. (laughs) It's really amazing. I'm actually paying attention to what's happening. You know, I'm not getting the phone. That's There's so many benefits. So that's kind of the, the detail behind that. And then as far as social media goes, so... I tried out a couple of the social media things when they first came out, okay? I tried Facebook. I was like, oh, this is cool. Oh, look, all these people that I went to high school with who weren't nice to me and I wasn't friends with, and now they want to be friends with me. This is kind of creepy. So, you know, I did it for a little bit. It was sort of interesting. And then I noticed a couple of things. I noticed lots of time going by and my having done nothing but scrolled through stuff. And I noticed how I felt after that, right? Not at first. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is new. And then after a while, I thought, what did I just do for an hour and a half or whatever that just was? Like, ugh. And then I also noticed what kind of example it was setting for the kids in our house. And so our kids also don't have their own devices. Haven't ever. And so that's a whole other subject, right? Where people, what? How can you do that? It's really easy. They're going to... Have lots of opportunities to do that as an adult, right? So let's just let them be kids and just do kid things instead of feel obligated to be attached to this thing the way so many adults do. So I thought, well, if that's the value that we want to pass along, then how does it make sense for me to be staring at these things when it doesn't make me feel good? I'm not sure what kind of example that's setting. So I got off of social media and I'd only tried a couple of things. I think it was just like Twitter and Facebook at the time and just didn't use it for a really, 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 really long time. And yeah, occasionally people would say, oh, well, we have this group on Facebook. And I'd say, okay, well, do you have an email list? Or can you let me know when you know people are meeting? Is there a way around it? And it, once again, it became another way to just make mindful choices. So no, we only have Facebook. Okay. I guess that group's not for me. Then, you know, I'll find something else because there are all these other different things to do. Or someone would say, oh, we really want you to be a part of it. Yeah, sure. I'll just email you. You know, when we really don't say a whole lot out there, I'll, I'll just email you the places we're meeting or whatever it is. Okay. Or just give me a call, that kind of thing. So then I actually did develop relationships outside of that because I would just say, hey, Can we do something different? So it was just that chance to pause and for people to think about it. And then, of course, over time, and you may have experienced this too, people were less enamored with social media. And so, you know, I have known other people who have taken a break, who have stepped back, who have reduced things like notifications or, you know, check occasionally. But it's just, again, been so freeing to me. And I did get... I. Created another Facebook account last year. (laughs) So I was off for a pretty long time and I created an account just to see, okay, you know, I've had some people request some information. A lot of people like to share business information as well. And they're more likely to tag someone or they'd say, hey, do you have a social media account? They're more likely to do that maybe than go to the website or send me an email through the contact, that kind of thing. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm just going to practice remembering that. I have choices as far as when to be looking at it, how often to see it. Thankfully, again, since I don't have a phone, it's not going to invade my life because I have to open the computer and go to the website and, you know, mindfully choose to engage with that. And I can also just choose not to look at the news feed. That was huge. Just Go to do send someone the message that I want to send or check on the person that I want to check on instead of just letting it all come in and sort of overtake me. So that's been my experience with social media thus far. And definitely people have said, Oh, how can you do that? Everybody's on social media. Like, you know, it's like, well, if if you want to talk to me, there are these multitude of other ways, right? Email and phones and text messages. So, you know,
1: you can make a different choice. It sounds a lot like uh, how they responded to you not having a car, <laughs> so you're like, oh, I'm used to this. <laughs> I'm just you know and and that the overall element of you that you've expressed so much in this show is is that fear of i mean the lack of fear of what other people think, or maybe it's not fully a lack. I imagine there's on some levels as a, most human beings care, but the the ability and the courage to say that's not for me and that's okay if it's for most other people and and actually that gives other people a sense of permission in a way i mean it excites me and i think it excites jason i i know as i said earlier that he's reflected on this and i'm curious what's coming up for you jason as you've you've heard all these like huge benefits of from somebody who has been car-free for so long and phone-free in, in most ways and very limited social media. Seeing her express all this, Jason, what does this bring up for you?
2: It's a great question. I feel like you're my spirit animal, Meredith. That's that's what I want to say. You're my spirit animal, truly. It, honestly, it brings up that I think there's been a conflict. I mentioned this earlier of like what I think my spirit or my soul is nudging me toward and these sort of tangential or existential fears of but you know, what if, but one of the biggest nuggets of wisdom you dropped among many today, Meredith was like, yeah, so what we could give it up and you can buy a new house and you could get a new car and you could get a new phone to your point the wave of technology the wave of stuff is probably not going away anytime soon so it's like yeah i there's a big part of me that just you know wants to take all my animals and my girlfriend and move to a tiny cabin in the woods you know and we're <laughs> we're actually talking about relocating like to the woods and minimizing a lot in our lives and to your point like i think what it brings up for me and what i'm leaving with after this wonderful episode with you, uh, many things, but the number one thing that's coming to my heart right now is that we as humans get so entangled in what we think we ought to be doing to what you said, parroting what you said, Meredith, how we ought to be living, how we ought to be behaving and separating our internal compass, our intuition, what our soul's purpose is from all of the noise, I think is one of the most important and necessary things that We can do as a human being on this life journey. I think it's one of the most critical things, discerning between other people's voices and the programming that's been implanted in us and what our soul is really asking us to do. And I think I've been really resisting a lot of things that my soul has been asking because there's this thing of, well, what's on the other side of it? I don't know. Well, the only way you know is by trying (laughs) and seeing what there is on the other side. And I think, you know. Seeing the joy and the radiance that you bring, Meredith, during this hour and a half together. It's like, oh, well, she's on the other side of it. And again, not comparing my life to yours all, but it's like, you don't seem to be wanting or lacking for anything, which is deeply inspiring to me. And I guess on that note, as as we wrap this delightful episode with you, is there anything right now that you are challenged with or struggling to let go of you've let go of so much you've made so many incredible changes you you've had the courage to live and be directed by your soul and your intuition is there anything right now in this moment meredith that you're like wrestling with
0: well you know things come and go on a daily basis still because i am still human right so I would say one thing is there's still that aspect of wanting to support and take care of everybody as well as myself. And that's not possible in every moment and every day. So I do have that ongoing struggle. As I mentioned, there are so many things that I enjoy doing. And so it feels like, oh, I could be this musical theater performer and this health coach, and this mom, and this, you know, all of these other things. And there's only so much time in the day. There is only so much energy. So, you know, I appreciate constant reminders that what I can do is enough. And I'm not going to be able to help all of the people all of the time. I'm not going to be able to take care of everybody all at once. I'm going to need to make choices and that's going to need to be okay, right? So not beating myself up about it and not saying, oh, but I wanted to do these, all of these things today, right now, this week, whatever it is, and stepping back and just remembering that whatever it is that I'm doing is enough for that moment. And that is one thing I would say that is a constant struggle, a constant challenge for me that I am continuing to work on on a regular basis
2: relatable on so many levels. Again, spirit animal. I'm going to be like, what does my spirit animal think? What does the Oracle say? (laughs) It's just been so delightful for so many reasons, Meredith. Your energy, your wisdom, the lightness and joy you bring to these somewhat challenging conversations. This has been such a lovely episode. I know our listeners and our readers are going to resonate so much with it. Speaking of our listeners and our readers.
1: And our watchers on YouTube.
2: And our watchers, listeners, readers, watchers, <laughs> people getting this through Telegram,
1: viewers.
2: viewers, however you're receiving this message,
1: people who are <laughs> receiving letters from Meredith handwritten. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. However, you're digesting this wonderfulness. We will link to Meredith's website. It is M the letter M for healthcom She's got a wonderful website if you want to dig into more of her health coaching services. And Meredith, are you going to be live streaming a chorus line at all? If anybody is, or is this like only if you're in Arizona, you can see it?
0: I believe that they're only going to be showing it live. I don't know that for sure. I'm pretty certain, however, that they're not going to be offering a live stream version. So I think that people would have to be in Tucson, Arizona to see it.
2: Okay. Well, if you are a Arizonian, a tu- is it a Tucsonite? It's a Tucsonan. Tucsonan, thank you. If you are a Tucsonan... Or well, when want to is go- it
0: exactly? When is the performance? We open July 23rd, and it runs those two weekends, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, so it's a uh, bit
1: of a tease okay. for our listeners because this, that'll have happened in the past. So... if you have a time machine yeah (laughs) behind the scenes we record episodes in advance so i I wanted to mention that so it's not as much of a tease but (laughs) hopefully there'll be more and jason you know you still have a car and tucson is what seven hours away from los angeles
2: this is true i'm just
1: saying you don't need a time machine jason you can
2: that's true that's very very true That's true. (laughs) Meredith, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you for being here, sharing your joy, your wisdom, your heart. We've absolutely loved having you here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to have this conversation with you. I appreciate you both. And all of the resources,
1: anything that we've mentioned today, the links, that's all at WellEvator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in our podcast section. So the videos there, if you're not currently watching, the, the t- full transcript of this episode, links to to it all, and all the amazing quotes that Meredith has shared today are there so that you can go back and read them anytime you need to tap further into your intuition. Thanks for listening.